Good morning to everyone. Good to see you. Glad that you're here. Looks like we've got a good crowd uh, today. We appreciate that and so glad that you chose to be here with us, not only here at Center Grove, but to worship God in spirit and in truth. And as always, we hope the things that we do here, the things that we say will be ultimately pleasing to God, but also to be beneficial to each of us. The Battle of Gettysburg in July 1863. It was especially devastating uh, because it's been said that neither Lee nor Meade actually wanted a, a battle there. They didn't want a controversy there. But there's a lot of things that led up to the reason that they were. And one of them, it's been rumored, because there was a newspaper clipping where someone said, okay, uh, that uh, they went, the Confederates went to Gettysburg because they needed supplies. And then that newspaper clipping not only said supplies, but it said especially shoes. So it kind of been rumored that the, the whole Gettysburg battle was because of shoes. Well, whether it was or not, I don't know. I wasn't there. But one thing we do know is that General Pettigrew, he actually had a brigade. He actually took that some nine-mile march, whether they were barefooted, whether they were losing their shoes. We know that the Confederates were low on supplies, that's for sure. Um, was going to Gettysburg to get those supplies, and it just happened that the Union Army actually seen them, and because of that, a lot of things transpired and this devastating battle took place. And in that battle, 21 generals were either wounded or lost their lives, and General Pettigrew was one of them. And when you think about that battle, I think Lee lost some 28 or more thousand soldiers, and Meade lost some 18 or so thousand soldiers. So you think about this battle, and you think about what took place, but on November 19th, Ever, or, or Edward Everts, the senator, previous senator there, was asked to speak at uh, a dedication for the Gettysburg, uh, Gettysburg Cemetery. But he postponed it for about two months, or they postponed it because he wanted at, adequate time to uh, prepare his speech. And they wanted him to speak there because he was a dynamic speaker. Um, he was a senator, he was a representative, he was the president of Harvard, he was a, a, a VP nominee. So they, they wanted him to speak there, so he, he took his time to uh, prepare a speech. Well, in the meantime, about 17 days before that dedication of that cemetery was supposed to take place, they asked none other than President Lincoln to speak. It was kind of an afterthought, really, uh, for him to speak. So when the time come, when they gathered together, uh, there were some 15,000 that were in attendance. And of course, they were in attendance because they wanted to see, get a glimpse of President Lincoln, of course, of being there. But instead, at first, they heard uh, Everett Edders, uh, Edwards, or Edward Everett, excuse me, uh, speak for about two hours. Now, in his speech, he had 13,607 words. Now, think about that. 13,607 words. I know some preachers that would do that, don't you? So he got up and he spoke this. And after he got up and he, he gave his speech for some two hours, President Lincoln gets up, he looks over his glasses, he looks over his notes, and he starts to speak. He had ten concise sentences 
268 words in all. He was up for about three minutes. And think about the impact that that speech made. Now, newspapers reported that he inserted two words into his speech that wasn't in the original draft that he had, and that was under God. He says that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. Now, I think from what I've read, there's some five copies out there or so of, of, of this speech. Some has under God in it, some don't. I like to think that he did say under God. Uh, how do you have a memorial service? How do you have a, a cemetery dedication of all that loss of life and not mention God? So I believe that he did. But while historians debate over what Lincoln said or didn't say, the Apostle Paul, he played the historian. Uh, he leaves no room for debate. He records the words of a memorial service that our Lord had, and he knew exactly what he said. And that was read just a few moments ago. Let's read that again. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, begin at verse 23. Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks he, and broke it, he said this, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, Paul says, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now, the, uh, when we think about this, I think Jesus knew that we would have a tendency to forget. Forget the one who died for us. Even Lincoln said in his speech, he said this, The world will little note nor long remember what we say here. But we remember what the Lord said, don't we? It's written for us. Paul had no, uh, there's no room for debate what took place. We read that, we know that, but I think he knew that, that we would forget. I think it, it reminds us, you know, the bread represents his body, uh, uh, the cup, the juice from the grape, it, it, it represents his, his blood that, that he shed, that, that he did for us. And we're to remember that. We're to memorialize that. And we do that every first day of the week. Because why? We may have a tendency to forget. Forget what the Lord has done for us. Now when we think of this memorial, uh, there's something different about this memorial than a lot of other memorials. This memorial, there's no grave, is there? There's no grave to go to to memorialize it. There's no grave to, to go to to, uh, uh, to to remember it by. And there's a reason for that. Now, Memorial Day, of course, is, is coming up tomorrow. And this weekend, there, there's a lot of people all over this area and throughout this country that will be putting flags all over cemeteries for veterans. matter of fact, uh, at one time, and I think other, uh, other funeral homes did, uh, the funeral home would give out flags so they could go out and, and put flags at, at veterans' graves. Why? To remember, to memorialize them. But this, th there is no grave. The Lord's Supper reminds us every week the price that was paid for our forgiveness. Because what makes this different is it wasn't just the death, it's the resurrection. 
That's what we're remembering. That's what we're thinking about. That's what we're talking about today. That's what Titus was singing about as we were singing praises to God about what Jesus has done for us. That's what we're remembering. That's what we're memorializing. That's what we're thinking about. And I think he knew that. I think he knew that we have a tendency to forget. So when others are going to a grave to remember, there's no grave for us to go to. And that's the point. That's what we're thinking about. That's what we should consider. That's what we should realize. That's what brings us hope. See, because this memorial service brings hope. When you think about other memorial service, you're there, you're, you're sad, you've got sorrow in your heart because of, of this person that has passed away and, and the service that they provided and the sacrifice that they provided. And it is something to be sorrowful about. But when we think about what Jesus did, we're not sorrow, we don't have sorrow because of that he died. We have hope because he lives. And he did that for us. Lincoln said this in his address, We here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation shall have a new birth of freedom, and that this government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. We remember. And you think about that battle. When that battle took place at Gettysburg, it says that there was some... I think it was what, 17 miles, I believe, of the, uh, of the Amlet's uh, wagons that, that stretched out getting all the wounded and the dead. I, there was a gentleman that just passed away, I think it was last week, uh, Mr. Todd Manbeck, that would come to the Upper Cumberland Funeral Directors Association meetings. We'd be there for credit. He'd give some lectures. And I, I remember, and I got to thinking about this when I heard about his death last week, he would give uh, lectures on this battle and other battles in, in, in the Civil War, and he would talk about uh, the process. You know, of course, it's funeral director, so it's a process of what do you do with the dead bodies, what do you do with these, and how they had these medallions that uh, uh, funeral homes at that time would give to the families they'd give to their loved one, and you just go through and look on the bodies and find those medallions, and you'd see which funeral home to take them to, who, what, what's, you know, where to take them back to, what county or what town. And it was just very interesting to me uh, how all that took place, but I, it was all, all really interesting too about the, how many lives were lost and, and what it was lost over. You know, you think of that battle when it was brother against brother. It was just, you know, uh, family member against family member. And you think about the, the fighting that took place and what's being remembered. But you think about the hope of what Jesus died for, the sacrifice that he made to save lives spiritually. I mean, you think about that sacrifice. You think about what he did. And, and again, I think we have a tendency to forget. But this memorial service, when we gather around, it's a memorial service that brings hope. It shouldn't bring sorrow. It brings hope. Those words inspired hope to a nation torn apart that, that Lincoln spoke, but the Lord's Supper is a memorial that inspires hope to all believers because it, it, it proclaims the Lord's sacrificial death. It, it proclaims what He did, a forgiveness of entire world for generations. Think about this. He didn't do it out of obligation. 
but he did it out of love. In John 15 and verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. 1 Thessalonians 3, 16, or, or 1 John 3, 16, By this we know, because he laid down his life for us, we also, also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Each week, this memorial reminds us of the love that he had for us and what he did for us. You know, we celebrate on Memorial Day the sacrifice that individuals made for our freedom. Look at the sacrifice he made for our freedom. Freedom from the bondage of sin. That's the best freedom you can have, isn't it? Because that, that determines where you're going to spend eternity. That determines where I'm going to spend eternity. And I remember that. I should remember that each and every week. And there's a thing in which we do that Jesus instituted so we would remember that. So we would think about that. That we should think about that. And that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Is that what I think about? Is that what's on my mind? Is that what I'm remembering? Or again, is it just something that we do? And Galatians 5 and 1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. This should remind us each and every first day of the week, don't go back to our old way of life, because here's what the sacrifice did for us. It brought us out of that darkness. It brought us out of that bondage of sin. It brought us out of that, that sorrow and heartache and that devastation of where we're going to be in eternity. It gives us hope for something better. That's what we remember. That's what we have a memorial for. That's what we take communion for. That's, that's why we're gathered. When we truly think about what Jesus did for us, it should bring hope. It should bring a, a, a sense of relief of if he hadn't done this, where would we be? We talked about light and darkness in our Bible class this morning. We'd still be in the dark. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 3, wouldn't it? He said, you were condemned already. You're already in darkness. I brought the light. I didn't come to condemn. I come to bring the light. I come to save. But how did he do that? By sacrificing. By sacrificing what he did. It wasn't blood that was shed on a battlefield. It was blood that was shed on the cross. For our sins. So we could have hope. It's a birth of a new freedom. Freedom that includes a resurrected body. There's, there's going to be a time. That, that's the hope that it brings us. There's going to be a time when He's going to come back. We're going to meet Him in the sky because the dead in Christ will rise first with a new body, a resurrected body, because He was resurrected. Death has no power. Death has no sting. Death has no victory because of what He did. Now, is that going to be in our lifetime? I don't know. Only God knows. But it's going to be a time where there's not going to be any more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more sacrifice because the sacrifice was made. And we memorialize that each first day of the week and should live our lives according to that. But again, sometimes we forget. But this should bring hope. The Lord's Supper is also a memorial that may seem 
a little different. It's a, it's a memorial service that has no grave. It's a memorial service that brings hope. But I think it's a memorial service that also disciples, that can help each follower of his. It, it can help us to not only teach the world, but it can also teach and help us. Now, how does it do that? In Matthew 28, remember beginning at verse 18, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So part of discipling is teaching others to observe all things, he says, that I commanded you. Isn't communion part of that? Isn't it part of that process? Jesus declared that whenever we take the bread and the cup, we remember Him. Well, again, why should we remember Him? Why, why should that be something that should always be on the forefront of our minds? He knew that, but why does it have to be? Well, that's why we gather together. And Acts 20 and verse 7 says, Now on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart on the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. That's why we gather together. We gather together because of his death, burial, and resurrection. That's the gospel, isn't it? There, there's no other reason for that. There's no other reason for, for us to remember because if that didn't happen, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. That's the good news of the gospel. I think that's why it's such a, a good evangelistic tool. Because there's no greater gospel story than that. That is the gospel story. That is the good news. That is the message. And I think we forget that. But again, why do we need to remember? Because I think we get easily distracted. We get easily distracted by other things. Think about tomorrow. Tomorrow's Memorial Day. Well, what takes place? We can go back to 1863 to where we talked about at Gettysburg. They were dedicating that cemetery and I think that's kind of where it began is because of remembering those in the Civil War. And, and they, they started, you know, they dedicated that cemetery. It started as calling Decoration Day. And there's a lot of cemeteries today still has Decoration Day. For a long time, when I, uh, when I first started working at the funeral home, I spent most of my time in the spring and in the summer setting tents for Decoration Days at cemeteries. It was a time to come and decorate the graves and to remember your loved ones. That's how this started. But then it, it, it became much more than that, especially in 18, I think it's 68. It became much more. It was about uh, celebrating more as it started from there and went on. Then it got into all of the wars. And then I think it was in 1971 when it actually became uh, a national holiday. Tomorrow, there'll be a lot of people, I think, gathered at cemeteries. Some will have a military service. Flags will be flying, taps will be playing, tears will be shed. Why? Remembering those that sacrificed their life for the freedom of this country. But what will a lot of people, other people be doing tomorrow? Having a cookout, spending time with family, me and my family and all the, the the, uh, my son-in-laws and others I gather up will be moving my mother <laughs> tomorrow. Tomorrow's moving day because it's a holiday. People's off work. You got to get something done. Having barbecue. 
That's what a lot of people do tomorrow. And I'm not saying we ought to feel guilty because we're not at some cemetery somewhere having a service. But my point is this. I think the, the meaning has lost its meaning. It's not what it used to be. It's not, you know, what it's meant to be. It's more of a time just to spend with family now and it's a day off work. That's how a lot of people view it. Well, I think that's the sort of thing that can happen when it comes to communion. That's why I think it's critical to be constantly exposed to the message at the Lord's table. I think it can lose its meaning for a lot of people. Oh, we may be here in the service. We may be here going through the acts of worship. But does this still have the meaning that it's supposed to have? I wonder sometimes, only, only you can answer that question, only I can answer this question. Because it's a time to examine ourselves, isn't it? It's a time to look at ourselves while we're taking this. Look with me in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So he says we're to examine ourselves. Now it appears, if you go back and read the total context here, it appears that Corinth had a problem. <laughs> one of many. But one of their problem was what they would do, they would gather together for basically a potluck dinner, potluck meal. Now that sounds fine. I mean, we, we have potluck dinners here, don't we? But the problem there was if you didn't have a pot, you were out of luck. Because the rich would come and they'd have their meals. They'd bring all their wonderful food that they had. The poor would come and they'd only bring what they had, which wasn't much or nothing at all. There wasn't no sharing that went on. And then it kind of intermingled into the Lord's Supper itself. That's why Paul addressed this. He even said, God's bringing judgment on you. There were people that were sick, people that were dying. Now, when he said you have homes to eat in, he wasn't talking about, as, as some contend today, that you can't ever eat on the church ground or in a building that, that's part of the church. That's not what he's talking about. There were, there were meals in people's homes, and they worshipped in their homes. If they worshipped in their homes, they'd have to go outside the yard and eat, if that was the case. He was talking about their attitude and, and what the Lord's Supper had become to them, what that memorial, what that communion had become to them. It lost its meaning. It wasn't what it was supposed to be anymore. And he said, you better examine yourself. Now when he says in an unworthy manner, he, he, he doesn't say, okay, you've got to be worthy to take it. None of us are worthy to take it if it wasn't for him. It's the manner in which we do it. What's going on? What's our attitude? Because when we take this, that's where we come face to face with sin. Our sin. And we come face to face with a Savior whose blood was shed because of it. That's what we think about. That's what the memorial's for. His death, his burial, his resurrection. And Paul is saying here, he says, don't you come with bitterness. Don't you come with, with sin. Don't you come how people act all the time and this is what's on your mind. You're not thinking about this. You come face to face with it. You can't run hide from it. Here's where it is. So you examine yourself, but it also brings hope because of what he did. That's why we take it. Now, we've gone to 
uh, the little cups here, because after COVID, you don't go back to the other. I, I sometimes think about sometimes, and there's nothing wrong with this, but sometimes that makes the Lord's Supper quicker, don't it? You know, you kind of go through it kind of quick. You, you pray for the bread, you pray for the cup. And, and I think to myself sometimes, okay, am I truly thinking about, am I truly examining myself, am I truly uh, thinking about what the Lord done? Because I, I, I sometimes go through it real quick. I'm talking about myself, and it's just almost like it's something you do at the close of service now. And no, it doesn't matter if it's in the little cups like this or if it's in the trays. Some people think of it, it's just sermon's over now. Uh, uh, it's not long now. Take the Lord's Supper. We've got a few more announcements and a song prayer. We can go to the house. Go to Helen's to eat or go to El Tap. As someone said one time, uh, some people just come to church, give them a little juice and a little cracker. I don't know. I don't know what's in your heart. You don't know what's in my heart. But I know somebody who does. God knows exactly what's in my heart. He knows if I'm examining myself. He knows if I'm coming face to face with what I should, what I was... And what he did. And when those meet together, it's something wonderful, isn't it? Because without what he did, what I was would still be here. What I was would be who I am now and on the path that I was going. But he did something about that. He did something for that. And I think sometimes we, think, we, we forget about that, I think. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. He says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. As I said, it's a wonderful evangelism tool. What better way for somebody who's visiting here that's not a Christian, what better thing for they to see than the gospel acted out in the communion, the death, burial, and resurrection. We're thinking about his death. We're thinking about his body. We're thinking about the blood shed, but we're thinking about the hope that that gives us. What better teaching tool is there? Again, it's the gospel. That's what we're telling the world. This is what Jesus done for you. This is the hope that you have. This is the light that's in a world that's dark. What are we showing them? What do we see? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, in verse 2, he says, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Don't want to know anything among you. Why did he say that? Because that's what his message was. He said, that's what I want to tell you. We can throw all this other stuff all around and talk about it all that we want to. It comes down to what he did. And what we're going to accept that he did. And what we're going to live by what he did. And this reminds us each and every day. Or every first day of the week anyway. Of how we should live each day of the week. Because, again, we come face to face ourselves with, do I believe it? Am I true to it? Am I living it? Because remember Hebrews, 11, or, uh, Hebrews 10 and 26, if I sin willfully, there remains no more sacrifice for me. So what do I do? I tell him, what you did means nothing to me. It means nothing. I'm, I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to live by that. And that's what we're showing the world. But it also tells those who's not a Christian, it tells them to look at their self and know there's something better. Look at what he did for me. 
He did something to me so I don't have to live in misery anymore in this dark world. I don't have to walk around in darkness anymore. There's something better. But I've got to remember it. Memorialize it. Think about it. Edward Everett, who made the principal address at the Gettysburg Cemetery, here's what he wrote to Lincoln after that. He said, I should be glad if I could flatter myself that I came as near to the central idea of the occasion in two hours as you did in two minutes. It's like someone told me one time, you had a great 40-minute, you know, 20-minute lesson, it just took you 40 minutes to say it. And I think that's what it is sometimes, isn't it? Whereas Lincoln, he inspired a nation with only 268 words. He inspired a nation. But Jesus gave hope to all generations, including all of us in this room today, with less than 35 words. Remember? He says, this cup is of the new... Uh, he says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Less than 35 words. And he should still inspire us and give us hope today. Because that's what we base our whole Christianity on, isn't it? His death, his burial, and his resurrection. So when we think of this Memorial Day, it should remind us of the sacrifice of the lives of the people made for the freedom of our country. And I think it, it is ungrateful and selfish if we don't think about that. There's a lot of sacrifices that have been made so we could live the life that we're living today. And I think we should remember. We've got a lot of veterans in here today. We should remember that. We should remember what they did. We should remember those that have lost their lives for what we did. And it would be ungrateful if we didn't. But I think as Christians, I think every Sunday should be a memorial day for us to remember what Christ did. And I think it would be selfish and ungrateful if we didn't. Because he paid that ultimate sacrifice, didn't he? Look at what that sacrifice means. But we each have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to me? So I encourage you as you partake of this Lord's Supper today, really think about that. Examine yourselves. Think about what Christ did. See if there's any wrongs in your life that you need to make right and make them right today. Or maybe you're here and you realize what that good news of the gospel is. You realize that Jesus died, shed his blood for your sins. But he rose again so you can have hope. You don't have to live in a world of darkness and you don't have to live in an eternity of punishment and destruction. There's a different way. And because of his sacrifice, there is that way.